I'm glad that y'all are here. I really hope that, uh, that you have appreciated this uh, series we're going through. Um, we today are going to be going through Genesis chapter 17, but it's been, I'll tell you, an interesting week in preparation for me because this week uh, was an interesting week in our family. It was not only back to school for our, our kids going to uh, elementary school. We've got a middle schooler. We've got a high schooler. And now we have a colleger. We, uh, we took our oldest son and dropped him off in Denton. And I will tell you, it was a little harder than I thought. It was, it was a transition that I remember when I was 18 years old. I, it was one of the clearest transitions I remember is when my parents dropped me off. And I thought at the time, this was a transition for me. And now seeing it from this one, I see that this is also a transition for, for the parents as well. And it's caused me to reflect a little bit over this week about my first 18 years of life and my last 18 years of life. And they are a little bit different and, and I didn't really notice it until I kind of got sentimental this week. I kind of got a little bit uh, just uh, into my deep thinking about why is the first 18 years of life is so like transformative. It's you remember your childhood, your childhood kind of sets in order everything that's gonna happen. But then I look at the last 18 years of life of raising this, uh, my oldest child, and it just seems like it's gone in a blur. Whereas the first 18 years, it kind of took a while at the time. In fact, I, I remember this time uh, where my parents had their 40th birthday and I was 10 years old. And I remember having this thought. I remember thinking there's no way anything is actually 40 years old. There's no way that anything that old exists. It was four times my life. And I had this like existential reasoning of maybe when I was born, the entire world poofed into existence and my parents just poofed into existence with these former memories and stuff like that. But it was so hard for me to fathom the idea that anyone could have been alive and living life for four times as long as 10-year-old Joel. And now that I've lived that 18-year period twice and I can look and see, you know, the first 18 years when I think about my memories, when I think about what was going on that first 18 years, I think back to relationships. But when I look to this last 18 years, I think about accomplishments. I think about what did I achieve? What did I do? I started a church. I had a child. I had this. I moved to this job and this job. And every single th way that I kind of marked the last 18 years, I just kind of realized are from accomplishments. But when I look at my childhood growing up, I'll be honest, I didn't accomplish much, but I had a lot of relationships. But it says this in, in verse 16, it says this, this is God saying, or, or um, David saying to, to God, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed before me, when as yet there were none of them. There's this idea that God has been waiting for you and knowing you for eons before you were born. And we can't even fathom that. If we can't figure out 40 years, how are we ever going to fathom that for eternity, for, for eons, God has, has known your days, has known that he's been with you and he's been waiting on you before you were ever even a twinkle in your great, 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 great grandmothers. I See, the truth is what I want to talk about today is what I call aggressive patience. Aggressive patience. I heard a, um, a quote this week. It was by a fighter. 
and uh, he, he was talking about, um, the guy complimented him, the interviewer complimented him on being patient. And uh, you know, how, how are you patient? And this is what he said. He said, when a hunting lion waits behind a bush, it is not passive, it is patience. Never mistake my patience for passivity. I love that. I think that's a pretty incredible quote, by the way, to come up with on the spot. And, and that's what he said. And the idea that you see a, a, a lion waiting, that lion is not being passive. It is being patient. And the reason it is going to succeed is because it is aggressively being patient. God is aggressively patient with us. And what I mean by that is that there are times when we don't think that, that God is moving. And in our minds, we stop and we quit doing anything. But God is always working even when we don't see him. God is always getting things ready and he's always having this deep relationship. Even when we don't see him moving, he is in our lives. He is moving in our lives even when we don't see it. And some of us are passive. God isn't there and we just kind of go through life as if God isn't there. But he's never passive. He is aggressively being patient for us, moving in our lives, waiting on us to decide, you know what, I'm all in. I'm going to follow where God is leading. You know, this week uh, was a challenging week for my wife. In fact, she told me, uh, she said, hey, Joel, I'm just going to cry for the next three weeks. Just, just deal with it, okay? Because we dropped our son off, and it was, it was a lot harder than I thought. And there's this moment where I thought everything was cool. We were driving, and she had her sunglasses on, and we got out of the car. And I look at my wife, and I said, why are you crying? And she said, I didn't say it like that. I knew what she was going. Uh, I said, I said, well, I said, you're crying. And, and uh, I said, real sympathetic, great husband. Anyway, she said, how can you tell? And she, had the, 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 she has our crying mom sunglasses on so that no one can tell. I didn't even know that was a thing. There are two sunglasses that she carries. One's for the crying uh, that was just for this week. And I said, well, I, she said, how do you know? And I couldn't see her eyes. I couldn't see anything. I said, well, I, I knew because your complexion changes a little bit and your lip terses whenever you, you cry. And, and I started, she was like, how would you know? That's what she said. She goes, how can you know that? And I started thinking about this. It's because for 25 years, I've been around you almost every day. I have seen you cry over this and that and over little things and big things. And our intimacy is this friendship, this time. And there's no way that I could say um, that, that you could just look at my wife in these sunglasses and know that she was crying. But I've been through every day, hard days, good days. I've seen her cry so many times that just the complexion, she goes, it's just a little different. And she's got this complexion. And I can just tell because I've known her for so long, the depth of our relationship. It has just been forged in a fire of forgiveness, of failures, of wonder, of uncertainty, all of these things. When it comes to our relationship with God, we cannot expect it to change us overnight. And I want to be clear, because some of us, you know, we become a Christian or a Christ follower, and we think the next day, we're just going to walk away from all of our sins. And, and some of those things may fall out of the way. Or we think, you know what, my life is just going to be, I'm all, I'm, next, next week, everything is going to be good. But what we don't understand is that God changes our life through intimacy, through an intimate, deep relationship. And that's just the way. And, and there's no, it's just like uh, uh, any other relationship. There's no way to get there unless you spend that time going through day in, day out. You may not be able to, to read the Bible tonight. 
And that's sometimes our expectation. I've just got to read the Bible. But, but you could probably begin that relationship with, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to memorize a verse. I'm going to read a verse. You, you may not be able to walk away from your, your sins and struggles and shame, but you may be able to say, you know what? I'm going to pray tonight in victory. I'm going to pray for this to fall away and for, for God to, to begin to change my heart. And, and over time, you're going to see God do things in your life you would never believe. But we've got to understand that the pace that God is going to work at is not the pace that this 2021 goes at. The pace that, that, that instantly everything in your pocket goes at. It is forged in a deep relationship. Now, when we get to Abram, or Abraham, we'll find out today, he gets his name changed finally. You're going to see, and what I want to focus on is just this aggressive patience that God has had. We're going to be in, uh, start in verse 1 of chapter 17 today. And we're going to take a couple of side roads, if that shocks any of you. But uh, I really hope this will speak to us when we think about our relationship with God. It starts off, it says, when Abraham, or when Abram was 99 years old, okay? 99 years old. And we're still not where he thought he would be. But, but what I want you to see is the last chapter, verse 16, or chapter 16 ended with this. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. But now it starts off when Abram was 99. So we got one verse here. You go to the next one. Most of us, when we read the Bible, we don't even notice that. But think about this. This last chapter of he had a son, but it was, it was done his way and not the way it was that he was supposed to do it. He had kind of disobeyed and forced God's hand. And God said, that's not the way it's going to be. 13 years later, we jump forward. 13 years where presumably we didn't, Abraham didn't hear a word from God, didn't hear any revelation from God, silence almost from God. And in fact, if we go back to, to uh, the beginning of, the, of Abraham's story, we find out that he was 75 years. So this is 25 years into the first time that God has ever spoken. But for the last 13 years, not one word was said to Abram audibly that we know of or, or, or even just internally to him. But... What I love about this is we have this picture of Abram going through life, wondering when God is going to do what he said he's going to do. He, he's given me these promises, and, and the promises, some have come true, but, but now I'm waiting on the big one, on, on this child that I've been promised. My wife is barren, and, and I've been waiting on this promise. And for 13 years, I wake up every day, God, and it's not today. And it just doesn't happen. And I started thinking about why God chose Abram. Because remember, Abram is, is a picture of you and I. He is, he is a, a someone who, who we, wanna ex we want to see how God interacts with Abram because he is kind of our forefather. He is representative of you and I. And what I love about this entire thing is just this, that he's still waiting on God. He, he has this faith through 13 years of silence. I think the reason God chose Abram is because Abram had this willingness to grind out a relationship. You know, when you look at any skill you've ever developed, you developed that in the grind, so to speak. When I used to play basketball, you know, I could, uh, I could tell immediately when somebody walked on the court if they were better than me or if they were worse than me. I could tell immediately, I could watch them shoot a jump shot and I would say, okay, we're gonna have a game. Or I would be like, okay, I'm gonna take this one off. I'm gonna guard that guy and it's gonna be easy. Because I could tell if he had put in the time that I had put in on the court. 
This goes with everything. If I, if I were to play, if you never play guitar and I were to get up here and play, you might think I'm a great guitarist because I can play some chords. I can riff off some, some of my favorite you know, lines in a, in a song. But if Joey were to get up here, or if any of the band members were to get up here and say, hey, let's just jam, let's play some, they would quickly say, oh wait, Joel has not put in the time. They would know immediately that even though I could fake it a little bit, that, that you just cannot, this is the way I say it. I don't know if y'all know I take jujitsu. Y'all know that? Okay, I know. It's y'all's favorite thing to make fun of me. And there are a lot of things to make fun of. But one of the things I can tell you is I can look at a person's belt and I can tell you if they're gonna beat me up in the next roll. I can just tell because those bets, those, those belts, they represent time on the mat and you just can't trick the mat. You cannot trick the grind. You cannot fake it. You've either put in the time or you haven't. You know what, you see those, those movies where uh, people have to play like they're married, right? I always say, you know what, it's amazing to me that we just let that go as if you could trick someone of a 30-year marriage or something. I could, if you are faking a marriage, I, would, I could solve that in five minutes. I could tell if you've known this person for 30 years or not. But they ask the easy questions. Hey, where were you born? What street were you born on? Okay, that's not what you would, that, 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 that you could trick them. I always think you cannot trick a relationship because relationships are forged in, in, in the hard times, in the times that I, I know my wife isn't gonna walk away when I do something stupid. Otherwise, man, we wouldn't have any kids and we wouldn't know each other anymore because that's just the way it is. We've been through so many fires, so many things. And when our relationship with God, we see Abram, we see in those 13 years, I guarantee you he had doubts. I guarantee you he had his wife saying, hey, you know what? You brought us all the way out here, away from Ur of the Chaldeans where things were good. You brought us here and now look at us. We don't see, it's, you know, there's a lot of things. And he was probably snapping back at her. Don't get me wrong. It's probably one of these things where it was the up and downs, but his faith was there. And God wasn't just not doing anything. He was forging a relationship. He was actually moving when Abram couldn't see it. And we're going to see that. It says he was 99 years old. And it said, when the Lord appeared to Abram, okay, so he appeared. And, I, and I'm going to take a little side road here because I've had a few of you actually start contacting me asking about the way God had, and I love this, the fact that we're digging into a, a book enough to where some of y'all are asking questions. And one of the questions I've been getting a lot of is, when God is talking, how is God talking? And then a couple of times is, is this, some of y'all are asking, is this the pre-incarnate Christ? Is this a Christophany? Because some of you know big words. And so uh, I wanted to touch on this for a little bit. A theophany is a physical representation of God, okay? And so there are some times where we don't know, it says the, the Lord appeared. We don't know if it was in a vision. We don't know if it was just in his heart. We don't know, okay? It, we like to think back to the Old Testament that God physically came down because in our eyes, that's how you could be obedient. Any of us would, you know, go to a new land if that was the case. I don't think most of them are theophanies, but there are some times where we have what we call Christophanies, which is Christ, the pre-incarnate before he walked on earth. And I just want to say this is ambiguous because it doesn't really say that. Some people, including me, would say Genesis 3 has a Christophany. When Jesus is walking, calling out, I, I think that, that that very much could be the, the risen, or not the risen, the pre-incarnate Christ in the garden with Jesus. It, it, we don't know. But understand, we, what we do know about Jesus is a few things. We know that Jesus has been and will always be. You read the first lines of the book of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Okay, in the beginning, He's always been. 
But I want to give you a couple of things just to think about, uh, a couple of verses. I want to read Luke chapter uh, 24, 25 and 27. It says this. This is Jesus after he's risen from the grave. Y'all know that? Jesus rose from the grave. And, and, and he's walking with people, and this is what he says. He says, O foolish ones, O slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then in the beginning, Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all of the scriptures concerning himself. So in other words, Jesus went through the scriptures and said, all of this is about me. As we've gone through the Old Testament, every single week, we've kind of said, hey, by the way, this points to Jesus. He's present in this. And then in 1 Corinthians says this, it says, we must not put Christ to the test as some did when they were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble. This is a reference to Numbers 21. The, uh, the Hebrews are out in the desert and it says they were grumbling against God. But when, when Paul says that they were grumbling, he says they were grumbling against Christ. In other words, he says Christ was present there. Jude, who, who was a, a brother of Christ in, in the flesh, actually, he, he wrote a letter. In his letter, this is what he says. He says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved his people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. In other words, you, you remember the whole story of God being with, with them in Egypt and, and splitting the seas and all that. We'll get to that eventually in this church and, and go through the Exodus as well. But what Jesus' brother Jude says is that was Jesus was actually present there. And so I, do want, I don't want to, to negate the fact that Jesus is active in the Old Testament. And that Jesus, as God, it is a mystery. I won't even pretend that I know the mysteries of God and how, I mean, again, I barely even am convinced that 40 years exist. But an eternal God, Jesus has been, is eternal and has been there. And so when we, when we meet these things, there is a full potential in some of these that this is Christ, the pre-incarnate. That is fully part of this story at different times. In fact, last week, some were asking, was that the angel that came to meet Hagar? Because it said, I, he spoke in the first person. I don't believe it was, but uh, I've got reasons for that. But I'll just tell you, it could be that I wasn't there. So uh, very astute, those are saying that. Now, to keep going, it says, when he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. And, and then we have this 13 years of silence. And then we get to verse 2. And I want to spend just a, a little bit on this to, to, to show you this. I think this is the key verse, verse 2. It says, this is the first words he says to him in 13 years. First things he says is, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I love that. I am God Almighty. The first time that this has ever been used for the name of God, El Shaddai. How many of you ever remember that Amy Grant song, El Shaddai? Anyone? Anyway, I was going to have... Yeah, I was going to have the band play that, but I decided not to. All right, I want you to see this phrase right here. Now, El Shaddai means uh, God Almighty. First time we've seen that. I love the fact that in silence, 13 years of silence, God, where have you been? Uh, hey, I'm God Almighty. I'm God in control. I, all these things where you thought nothing was happening, something was working. I am in control. That's why he said El Shaddai. He is giving this new name that says, I'm in control of all of the things you've been doubting and wondering and waiting. I think about uh, in 2012, there was a story of Peruvian miners that got stuck down. I don't know if y'all remember that. And, and they had a great quote. They said, they were down there bored because they were down there for like days, like weeks and weeks. But they had this quote of, you know what? We were so bored. We didn't know anything we didn't, that was going on. The only thing we knew is that everybody above us was working hard to free us. 
when we think about our relationship with God, that El, that El Shaddai, God Almighty, even when nothing is going on for 13 years, God says, listen, I am working on the things that I said. And this is the command. Go back to, uh, to verse two. It says, walk. I want you to think about that word walk. He doesn't say run before me. He says walk before me. And when we look at our Christian journey, our journey with God, the first thing I want you to think about is walk. You know, how many of y'all have ever ran a sprint? If you ever run sprints, you can run a sprint a few times and then you got to, most of you are like, no way, okay? Let me just tell you, if you run a sprint, we're about to do a softball game and you're gonna see somebody not sprint to first base every time they get a hit. So if you run a sprint, you gotta stop. You gotta stop and catch your breath and, and you can't just keep sprinting. If you run a marathon, you gotta take days to recover. But did you know if you walk four miles a day, at the end of the week, you're gonna be stronger than you were when you started. You can walk and actually get stronger. And so I love the fact, just the pace that God says, hey, Abram, do what, you, what you've been doing. You've been walking, I'm in control of things. Just keep doing what you're doing, walk before me. And before me, this phrase before me, it's a relationship. There's a cadence. If I'm going to walk with God, I'm walking before him. In other words, there's this relationship and I'm going to be in step with him. I'm going to obey him, but it's going to be a cadence. I'm, I'm not going to be having to sprint to the mission field here and here. Every single step that I'm going is a walk with God. But then that last word, be blameless. He's recapping Abram's journey. If you will walk with me everywhere that I tell you to go in cadence with me, you will be blameless. Remember a few weeks ago, it said that the Lord credited his faith as righteousness. Blameless does not mean sinless. And we need to understand that no rules have been given. Nothing has been done. God has said, I'm going to give you blamelessness. I'm going to give you sinlessness. I'm going to give you righteousness. I'm giving it to you. You can't do that. So when we walk with God, with God, trusting him, obeying him, that he can do it, he is giving us righteousness. When we stand before God, we will not have to say, I was perfect, I never looked at that, I never said a bad word here, I wasn't bitter, I was perfect, I was there. Instead, we'll say, you know what? God, I struggled the whole time, but I trusted you every step of the way. And God is gonna say, you receive your righteousness. I will give you your pardon. And so that's what he said. Most of us, when we think about the Old Testament God, and you hear people talk about that, but you don't actually read the Bible. And we just say, well, God's just angry and he's throwing thunderbolts at us on all that. 13 years of, I'm sure, sins and mistakes and everything. And what does God say? Hey, Abram, I'm, I'm God Almighty. I can do it all. Just walk with me and you're gonna be blameless. And then he restates like a good parent does, a thousand times, he's going to restate these promises in this covenant that he has. This is what he says. He says, it says, Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be a father of multitudes of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means highest father or exalted father. But now your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. Kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, that throughout their generations for everlasting, for an everlasting covenant, to be God, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give this to you and to your offspring, and to the land of your, the land of your sojournings, and to the land of Canaan, the everlasting possession, I will be their God. 
I just want to point out this is the same promise he's made from the beginning. He made the promise to Adam, hey, be fruitful and multiply, and I will be with you, we'll be there. Adam failed, right? He made this to Noah after Noah came out of the ark. He said, be fruitful and multiply. I will be your God. And he made this and Noah struggled. Now to Abram, he says, listen, you're going to be fruitful and multiply, but, but he's barren. His wife is barren. They have this out, but he's still been walking saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And God is saying to him, I'm God almighty. I'm going to do this. It's the same covenant. And by the way, the covenant, the, the, the promise that God has made to, to Adam, to Noah, to Abram is the same promise that he, that he will be our God, that we will be in an everlasting relation. It's the same promise, Old Testament and new. Now, sometimes we're going to get into uh, the, the way we look at it changes, but the, it's the same promise and the promise never changes. Now, as we keep going, I'm getting ahead of myself here. He's going to go and he's going to talk about a new covenant. Sometimes it's called the covenant of circumcision, but I want to clarify this. This is what happens. God says to Abraham, so now we can use the word Abraham. And by the way, I just thinking of that name, Abraham, I think it's a little awkward when your wife is barren and your name is exalted father. And now, uh, you, you think about it and like, let's say some people come in and back in the day, there were a lot of, you know, people were sojourning and they were traders that would go on caravans to Egypt and stuff. People come by and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm John, I'm Mike, whatever. Hey, I'm Abram. Oh, Abram, you must have some kids cause you're exalted father. And he's like, no, I don't have any kids. Well, I've got one kid, but uh, it's with my, my servant. Long, long story. So I don't want to get into it. No, I don't have any kids. And then they go off, you know, to where Egypt, they sell and they make, and, they, and they're coming back like years later. And they say, oh, it's that guy Abram. This is the exalted father. And they're kind of laughing. Because, and then he goes, no, 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 I'm not exalted father anymore. Now I want you to call me father of multitudes. And, and they've got to be thinking, oh, you had twins and they had twins. Wow, that's awesome. And he's like, no, 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 I haven't had any more kids. I just, I just changed my, my name. In fact, El Shaddai changed my name to father of multitudes. They would think he was crazy but he accepts this name. He says, you know what? In faith, you're, you're God almighty. You can do it all. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that I'm now Abraham, that I am the father of multitudes. Understand in that name, Abraham, when he receives it, it is, if anything, it is a joke to him. It is, it is something he can barely even uh, comprehend. And this is what God is going to do. He's now going to take it a step further. Remember when he was doubting before and he made that covenant and he, remember covenant means, anybody remember? To cut. So they cut animals in half. Well, to cut's about to get real, y'all, okay? God is going to make this new covenant and this is going to be even more real. It says, God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall be in my covenant. You shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring and after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between you and me and offspring after you. Every male among you um, shall be circumcised. If you don't know what that means, ask somebody else. <laughs> you should be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you. Now that verse 11 is an important word and there I'm gonna get back to. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout the generations, whether you're born in the house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. But he who is born in your house and who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be 
with a, in the flesh be an everlasting covenant. An uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And by the way, this happens in the wilderness. They quit observing this. And what does God do? He makes them wonder in the, in the wilderness because they have broken this covenant. And by the way, verse 11, this isn't actually a covenant. This is a sign of the covenant. That's what I want you to see, a sign of the covenant. There's a difference between the covenant and the sign. The covenant was the promise. Remember, we went through that a few chapters ago, and that was the gospel. That was, listen, anytime we cut this, somebody's life is on the line, and God said, listen, I am going to, to be both sides of this covenant. You need to go back two weeks ago. It goes together. This is a sign of that promise. He's reconfirming to this man that, listen, you're going to have this child, and it's about to get, now I'm giving you a sign. And what is a sign? A sign is a reminder and this is an intimate reminder. But now we have all the people, by the way, he goes immediately and he circumcises himself at 99 years old. I would be like, grandfather Dan, maybe? No, nope, didn't happen, okay? Himself, his son, who's now 13 years old, everyone else kind of just gets, they, hey, they go along in faith, I'm gonna do this, okay? But what I want you to see is it is a sign that would have been intimate, but it was never intended to be the actual covenant. And this mistake has actually um, caused some bad theology of you've got to do this in order for God to love you, okay? Throughout, that's never been the case. We see in Jeremiah 4.4, God says, listen, you need to circumcise your heart, okay? What is he saying? He's not saying open up and cut off part of your heart. What he's saying is when, when we do this outward sign, it's because there's an inward change. In fact, we see this in Romans 28. It says this, this is what Paul says, for no Jew who is merely, is merely one outwardly, or is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Um, his praise is not from man, but by God. So he's saying, listen, you can, this circumcision, you can get circumcised. You can have the sign and not the covenant. You can actually have that sign and not the covenant, but if you're going to take this um, circumcision as a sign, what you're saying is, God, I'm opting in. I'm going to have this reminder. No matter where I go, I'm going to have this reminder. And it was an intimate reminder. The parents would be a part of it when they circumcised their child. A wife would be a part of it when uh, she was intimate with her husband. But also uh, the man just throughout his life would always have this reminder of I'm a, I'm a part of this covenant. And so the entire culture actually would be touched by this reminder of who God is. So I'm going to stop there today for uh, time, but I want you to understand that, again, God is playing this patient long game of, listen, I'm going to keep reminding you until it happens, but he's in no hurry, even though Abram's in a hurry. Abraham's 99 years old. He's in a hurry, okay? His, his wife's clock, so to speak, is, is ticking, he thinks, but God is patiently saying, listen, I'm God Almighty. I'm going to make this happen. And he gives him another thing. He gives him a sign. He gives him this proof. So you'll always be able to remember that I'm still moving in your life. First thing I want you to remember from this sermon is that God is working while you are waiting. God is working while you are waiting. We only grow deeper in relationships when we wait, when we just go through life together. And a lot of the reasons that we haven't received what we've been asking God for is because God wants a deep relationship. It would not be a deep relationship if every time you asked something from God, you got it immediately. God would become your genie. 
But instead, we have this relationship where we have to depend on him, wondering for sure is he going to, and then we see him show up, and, and then the next time it's a little easier. And the only way you get there is you spend your life, however much remaining, walking with God. You walk with God and you are patient, aggressively patient with that, that anticipation of, listen, I'm not doing nothing. I'm a, being aggressively patient. In other words, I know God is working. He's working up there while I'm down here and I'm going to keep waiting, knowing that that day is as good as here and it's gonna happen. And when I wait aggressively patient, it's I'm believing it and I know it's gonna happen. There's nothing that's gonna stop it, but it's not gonna happen today. It's not gonna happen tomorrow. And when it does, I'm gonna be ready. I think about Emmett Smith, by the way, whenever you hear see the word patient. My favorite running back of all time was Emmett Smith because he's the first person that showed me that you can be too fast as a running back. The reason Emmett Smith was such a great running back for you people that needed some cowboy history real quick um, is because he was patient. He would go a direction and he would wait on a hole to develop. You can be at the hole, you can arrive, and you can be too fast as a running back. You can go too quickly. His greatness was that he could wait for everything to develop. He was aggressively patient. And when the time came, he was ready to run through that hole. And, and that's how our relationship with God is. We are aggressively patient. We are reading every day. We are praying every day. We are hoping and waiting every day as if God, what, God, what we've been asking for, God is going to do. And when it's time and we see it, we're ready to run. But we don't wait there saying, God, you're never going to show up. God never shows up. God, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work out. We sit there in anticipation. I can't wait. It's going to happen. I'm going to keep building towards it. I'm going to keep doing what I can do because I know God is moving up there. God is working while you are waiting. Remember that. 25 years, Abram waits. 13 years. And, and then God changes his name 25 years into this. God is patient because he's developing a relationship with you and I that is deeper than any other relationship you have. He's known you longer than anyone you know. Second thing I want you to know, and this is uh, going to be the way I'm going to end this, but it's, a, it's that you and I are included in this covenant. I think that we need to have an understanding. The reason I love spending time in this book is even if you've only been here a few times, you're beginning to see this is the same promise. This is the same story in the Old Testament and New. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God working the same promise. And now he's giving us different signs. And Jesus is even going to give us new signs and new covenants. But it's going to be the same promise that God is going to, we're going to be blessed, fruitful, and multiply. And that God is going to be our God. That's the promise, okay? That's the most important thread that weaves this whole thing together. And this is what Paul says when it, when it comes to this debate between, do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to be a Jew? Do you have to follow the whole law? Do you have to do all of these things? This is what Paul says about this covenant of circumcision or this sign. This is Romans chapter four. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Amen? Amen to y'all over there. Blessed is the man who the Lord will not count his sin. Is this the blessing only for the circumcised or is it for the uncircumcised? Is this for you and me or is it only for people who are Jews who, who entered into this thousands of years, Paul is asking. For we say that in faith it was counted to Abram, Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? Was it before or after that God said, I'm going I'm to make you blameless. I'm going to give you your righteousness. Did that happen before or after this covenant of circumcision? It happened before. Before 
Abraham was ever asked to do anything, God said, I'm gonna be your God and I'm going to make you blameless because of your faith. Faith is always first, even in the Old Testament. You're gonna see this time and time again. And Paul says, it was not after, it was before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith when he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well, that's you and me, and to make him the father of the uncircumcised or the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk with him in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. What he's saying is basically, he gave this sign so that you and I, whenever we have faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, when we have that faith, we are counted in this covenant. We are counted in this sign. When we follow Christ, this is our sign as well. When we have a sign, not the sign of circumcision, remember the sign of I'm walking in faith. That's the, 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 the real sign Paul is getting at. You think about like this, this wedding ring as a sign. If I take this off, am I still married? Yes, I'm still married. But if I walk into a room and my wife isn't with me, everyone knows, oh, he's married. He made a commitment. He decided to walk with somebody. He made a covenant with someone because you see this sign. We have many signs in our faith. We have baptism is a sign. We get baptized, we go into the water and what is it? It's a picture of what we believe. That just as Jesus was buried and brought out of the, the grave, so are we. We are dead to sin and now we are raised to walk in new life. It's a sign of a decision we made. This covenant of circumcision is a sign that's given to Abram. When, when no one else believed that he could be the father of multitudes, God said, I'm going to give you a sign. It's going to be an intimate sign. But you are every single day going to remember that I am God Almighty. And I will do what I said I'm going to do. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much just for the ins and outs every single week as we have read your word. Lord, I thank you that... You have shown us that the Old Testament and New Testament, all of the things that we have maybe heard about the Bible, as we dig in, we see that you are the same God then as you are now. We see the same struggles then as we do now, and we see the same promise then as we do now. Lord, I thank you so much that every single person in here who's waiting on something, waiting on you to move today, we can have confidence that you are already moving on our behalf and that every second we get to, to stay in this waiting is just a little bit deeper of a relationship we have with you. And there's gonna be times coming in our future when we receive these promises, when we are able to, to receive blessings from you and people are gonna ask us, when will it happen to them? And we're gonna be able to say, it's gonna happen. We're gonna give them confidence in their faith because we've gone through these deep struggles with you. So Lord, I thank you for the moments of patience that many of us have right now. I thank you for the uncertainty that you brought about us to where we can just say, you know what, God is God Almighty. And Lord, I thank you that this is about us, not just about people that were alive thousands of years ago, that this same promise that you will be our God and that you will make us righteous, not because of how we act or how good we are or what we do, but simply because we have faith in you. Lord, I thank you that that's been the message from the very beginning. And as we dive into your word, it's revealed that you are the same then as you were or, or as you are today. 
Lord, I thank you for the hope we have. Lord, I thank you that ultimately you gave us the greatest son. You entered into your own creation. You lived a sinless life and then you traded it for ours. You gave us your righteousness through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in him we put our faith. In Jesus' name we pray.